Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast which is almost exclusively concentrating on the Copa Libertadores, of course, South America's greatest club competition. However, every so often we will just uh, nudge towards the Copa Sudamericana because, of course, this week and tonight, in fact, as we, we recorded, was the final between Lanús and Defensa Justicia, an all-Argentine final, Defensa Justicia running out 3 nil. Winners and myself and Ollie had a chat about it, had a chat about the significance of the final, had a chat about the sunshine, the weather, the importance of uh, 2,500 people inside the ground, which was great. And ultimately, Hernan Crespo lifted the trophy, Mr. Wilson. We've been talking for around about half an hour on this podcast. It's 40 minutes since the trophy was lifted in Cordoba by Hernan Crespo and defence at Justicia. <laughs> I mean, this is a comprehensive of... A podcast on the South American sister tournament, if you will, to Libertadores. And, you know, find me another podcast that's going to be up in, what, an hour? That's reviewing the <laughs> final in English? I mean, I don't want to be that it's, guy. It's, We've had some it's trouble. A, it's a niche. We've had some trouble with saying <laughs> we're the only English Libertadores podcast. But come at me with the Sudamericana. In this time frame, come at me. I'm willing to fight that Definitely fight. Definitely the only, only <laughs> Sudamericana podcast in English. It's a niche within a niche. Uh, but nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. Y estamos listos para esta final. Comienza el partido. Lanús de, de Defensa y Justicia. Corta por el medio Romero. Ojo con el pique. Acá está Romero con la primera. Justo el balón que le queda. Adonis Frías persigue Merentiel. Ojo con este balón que queda solo como Romero. De defensa y justicia. Brian Romero. Su décimo del torneo. Les pasa factura. 2 a 0. Acá puede estar el tercero. Solo Camacho. De defensa y justicia. Washington Camacho. Campeón, 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 campeón. New uh, uncharted territory. Well, first of all, Mr. Oliver Wilson, before we talk about the actual nitty gritty of the game, there were act- there were people inside the ground, not fans, I should say, but there was two thousand five hundred, uh, you know, people inside the ground, friends and family and delegations and squad members, and even prior to kickoff, you just got that immediate sense of oh, oh, this is a little bit different after we've watched so much European football the last few months, where there's obviously no fans at all in the stadium, just to have that impact and just for the camera to cut to the emotion on the faces of of those in attendance. I thought even before kickoff suddenly made this final feel a little bit different, of course, the, the, the Copa Sudamericana final. Yeah, it's it's huge for really getting emotionally invested in a game, particularly if you're a neutral. You know, we were chatting earlier in the week about the lack of context you sometimes get with football on television at the moment. And if you're watching that game, not knowing anything except for the fact that it was a final, if you didn't have any fans there at all, it'd be even easier to be slightly removed from the sense of occasion mm. and, the, and the storylines that were taking place. But the fact that you at least had some fans there, it changes the enjoyment of watching football massively. Um, and th- there's definitely a, a podcast I'd like to have with you about, you know, should football teams reduce their ticket prices by half when fans are allowed back in grounds again? Because we've realised how important it is to the game to have people in stadiums but we'll come on to that at a far later date when we're not covering the Copa Sudamericana final just minutes after the final whistle 
Sorry, I get the sense that you want to dive in there, though. <laughs> no, I, 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 this is clearly the you know the whole kind of fans in, in stadiums and the importance of that is is something for a, uh, a meaty podcast another day, Ollie. I just wanted to make the point that in certainly in Europe there'd been that debate about should you play artificial crowd noise into a ground when there are no fans in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then on some television channels, you now have the option to turn that off or on accordingly and I've always felt very uncomfortable with hearing that artificial fan noise in partly because that's not reality it doesn't reflect reality of what's going on and secondly because when you eventually do get fans back in you want to hear that oh oh wow yeah that's what that sounds like when the players walk out when there's a goal or when there's a chance or when there's a tackle and because we've had this artificial sound pumped into grounds I don't it's going to be really weird when fans do come back in and you think it just kind of blurs a few lines for me, and I think I think there should be no artificial sound. So to have, you know, just prior to kickoff, yes, it was only a very very small amount of people inside the ground, but you could just hear that little expectation, the 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 chit chat, and, and a few songs even from from that small cluster of fans, and it does make a difference. And it's um yeah, it it was noticeable. I think when it's authentic, you can tell the difference as opposed to a pumped in mm. crowd noise. And I was kind of glad actually that they didn't try and pump in crowd noise over the top of the fans that we already had to try and make it more of a spectacle. Because especially when you're watching on television, you know, even today, all the fans were behind the camera because they're in the grandstand that where the players are pre-game, where the tunnel is. So it's not like they're putting fans in the opposite stand to make it seem and look like a better occasion either. So when you're having crowd noise pumped in, but you're looking at an empty stadium, you're still missing, you know, picking out the flags and the choreography and the and the scarfs of fans as well. On occasions like this, which are so colourful, I mean, I don't want to go back to last year's final, which was such an incredible event with Please all of do. the all of the Please fans do. from Colón uh, that went up to Asuncion, packed that stadium in black and red, and it looked amazing with the world, the wind swirling the balloons and the ticker tape all around that stadium and the pockets of pink of the Independiente del Valle fans and obviously the players on the pitch as well. It looked a great colourful affair. And that was the only thing from an all-Argentinian clash that was maybe missing in this because we had the fans, but we didn't quite have that choreography and the visual effect of a final that we're used to seeing from some of the great moments in South American football but aside from that you know having any number of fans in the stadiums we've seen it in the US when they've had 6,000 people in a you know 66,000 seater stadium and I talk about this in in Buffalo recently those six and a half thousand fans in an NFL game in Buffalo made almost as much noise as a normal stadium they were so loud and ferocious with their intensity of support and we had a we had a little taste of that with two and a half thousand this evening so that was fantastic you mentioned the daylight I love the fact that it was a daylight game any other time but a final you know what I mean and this is just you know we've had the finals have been shifted around Obviously, they're doing it now right in the the longest part of their summer down in South America as well. So it's going to be an even further extended period of daylight. Obviously, again, last year we had the hours rain delay, which meant and the dark clouds. So it was floodlit for the majority of the game anyway. And a sunlight final, it just it removes a little, you know, floodlight football (laughs) on a big occasion. There's something special about it, we have to admit. There is, absolutely. I always feel like it's for the semi-final should be at night. I don't know why. Maybe that's like a Champions League thing in kind of April. But I always feel like the semi-final should should be at night and warm as well, Ollie. Of course, this is like peak yeah. uh, Argentine summer in Cordoba, thirty-four degrees, warm. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it reminded me more of a World Cup game. 
You know, when you've got two yeah. big sides yeah. that want to face, you know, you could put Brazil against Italy, but if you're putting them in the heat of the midday in, in Qatar, like we're going to have, you know, in a few years' time, that game's still not going to have the panache and the next speed year. and the quality. God, yeah, next year. Jeez, that's crept up so time quickly. Flies. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you put that in the midday heat of Qatar, that game is still going to be a slow game of football. Credit mm. to Defensa e Justicia didn't make it a slow game of football. They brought the quality that they had from the semi-final against Coquimbo Unido in the second leg of their build-up play with the amount of space they were afforded at times in the wide spots, defensive solidity, and then once they had the lead, the counter-attacking football. Lanus were at sixes and sevens at the back as they tried to chase the game. And we'll get into Lanus's performance, I'm sure. But, I mean, we heard in the, uh, in the intro... Defensive Justicia dominated it. I was looking for Lanus chances to put into the intro, and there wasn't time, nor were there really any, to test Unsane in the in between the posts for Defensive Justicia. It was a comprehensive victory today. Yeah, it was, and as you say, that the kind of pace and intensity very early on from Defensive Justicia was really notable. I think it was on eight minutes that was it Enzo Fernandez slid it through to Pizzini, or I can't remember who it was, but it was it was a really it was Romero. It was ball. the man you would have put yes, your house yes, on yes. to score, Brian Romero yeah. in that position. And uh, I think the commentators in every single language that we were listening it uh, to it on were saying, how is he not? We were expecting that to just nestle in the bottom corner. And mm. it was a, a golden opportunity and you hoped that that wasn't going to be a, oh no, have they wasted chances? And you know, it wasn't to be was, the case. No, I was going to say that even if you had no view of the football pitch, Ollie, and you just were completely focused on the camera looking at Hernan Crespo, you would know exactly how the game was going because every time it <laughs> cut to Hernan Crespo, he was just there quite vigorously applauding his side. And I always find it funny when managers are constantly applauding their team because they're essentially, in a way, applauding themselves, aren't they? They pick those players, they bought those players, <laughs> they train those players. That it's their tactic. So it is, you know, as people always say, potentially that players and teams are, or the best players and teams are, in many ways, a reflection of, of their manager. But if you had just looked at Hernan Crespo throughout that first 20, 25 minutes, you would have known that he was so comfortable, so content, so happy with what his side were doing. And uh, yeah, and the goals came accordingly. Thoroughly enjoying his side's performance. But I think every single person uh, in green and yellow in that stadium or supporting green and yellow in that stadium was enjoying the performance because you ne- they never felt rushed on the ball. Uh, I mean, to, to break down Lanús in this game, you have to look at a couple of people. Enzo Fernandez, as you touched on, a creative catalyst in the heart of the pitch and really playing the quarterback role, sitting as the deeper of uh, an almost a central midfield three. But the way Pizzini wouldn't stick to that right flank, he'd shuffle inside slightly and you'd either have Frias bombing forward. I've never seen two such bold left and right sided centre-backs in a back three as Frias and Delgado. And it was a shame that Delgado picked up kind of that knock that slowed him down after about 30 minutes or so. But Laralda, Paredes and Pizzini just kind of floated about in that central to right-hand side of the field. And then Brian Romero is just waiting for anything to capitalise on. And on the left-hand side of the 18-yard box, time and time again, the top left-hand corner down into that channel as well. He's either looking to create and sometimes a little too unselfish uh, with a few moments, or he's looking to pounce onto any little through ball that comes his way. And you have to say... He was far too unselfish with the goal on 33 minutes um, that got the opener for defence at Eustitia. And I thought 
it was a, a moment squandered by Brian Romero until it falls to Frias, who as a centre-back is still hanging far too high up the pitch on the edge of the 18-yard mm. box when it comes to him kindly. Pizzini's flick as well. It's a little bit of class and quality with that heel flick to send Romero through with the through ball from the uh, midfielder. It, it just reeked of everything that I've enjoyed from Defensa Justicia in the latter part of this Commodore Sudamericana. And then Walter Bowe's little touch, though, just to put it into the path of Frias. So, so, you know, he's on the deck there. It would have been so easy to kind of look at the referee or make his own complaints or try and get involved in a physical battle. But he just gets that crucial touch back. And, and you're almost not surprised to see Frias up there and scoring. And yeah, I mean, it was exactly what they deserved at the time. It was something that was actually that touch from Walter Bowe was very similar to a touch that De La Vega, the teenager, a hotly touted teenager from his performances this year in the Sudamericana, uh, had for Lanús in the semi-final against Vélez Sarsfield that they had. There was a ball that came in across the 18-yard box and he just has that little bit of extra scrap to get onto it, slide onto it and poke it back between the defender's legs to allow Orsini with a simple finish. And it was interesting how that suddenly came and bit Lanus back in the behind in this final. And a final where, you know, the hotly touted youngsters just never appeared. And we kept on waiting and mm. waiting, but the one goal lead at half time for Defensa, you felt they was Lanus was still in it if they could orchestrate something, but I have to say, I never felt that there was a moment where there was any chemistry or any cohesion with them going forward. Nothing went right for Lanus at all. Nothing at all. And uh, I forwarded this on to you, slight, slight tangent, Ollie, but during the game. And the fact that De La Vega wasn't even born when Jose Sand was playing for River Plate. It was just, <laughs> a, if you can wrap your head around that, it's amazing. And I've got to say, Jose Sand at 40, Ollie, he looked all of those 40 years, I thought today. He, I mean, towards the second half, he, he couldn't run really. You know, he, he's nearly he's 41 in July. But uh, yeah, I thought there was a great stat to La Vega, not even born when uh, when Sam was playing for River. So, I mean, just a hugely frustrating um, night for Lanus, really. And they'll, they'll look back on it and uh, it just nothing worked for them. They, they didn't show up. It's kind of a cliche to say in a final, but for whatever reason, and it's something that they'll have to dissect, but they just didn't show up. Yeah, and I don't think you would say oh it's because of the youngsters because these youngsters have been playing at a very high caliber throughout this tournament so yeah there are extra nerves I'm sure with the final and, and I'm sure there'll be ex-professional footballers that will tell me that I'm barking up the wrong tree about them not performing in, in the big moment but there's been a lot of big moments in these semi-finals for Lanús, in these quarterfinals for Lanús, where they've shown up. You know, they've had to go to Independiente on the road in the quarterfinals to get a result, and they smashed them 3-1. And it was the youngsters that were creating and, and sorting out the chances for the likes of Jose San and Nicolas Orsini. That, you know, they, they had to get a result against Vélez Sarsfield in the first leg on the road, and they did exactly that. And then they finished it off in the second leg of the semi-finals. A game against another Argentinian side in Cordoba. Yes, it's a final, but it's it's nothing more than they've already been up against in this competition. And it's a level, level playing field at 0-0. I think Jose Sand really suffered from the heat as well, to be honest. I think asking, <laughs> yeah. I do think asking a 40-year-old yeah, yeah. to play in that heat with the same intensity that he would under cooler climates under a floodlit conditions of the quarters and semifinals, it's a very different game for somebody like him. He needs to take every it, little opportunity he can for that edge. Really big ask. I mean, it's. So, I think it's quite rare that you see a player. You know, sometimes fans will criticise players for not running enough or not trying, but actually, it's quite rare. Usually, players physically put leave everything out there, but certainly for Jose Sanda, I just think physically was um he was spent in that second half. Talk, talk us through the goals as you saw the Molly in that second period to to give defence and he's he's the three 0 win. Well, the second for Lanús is the the absolute capitulation at the back by Alexis Perez. 
the Colombian centre back who Cute just finish though, isn't it? rolls it straight into the path of Romero. But yeah, he's got the the presence of mind in front of goal to put up double digits in the tournament. Number ten now for him, and just dink it over the keeper. A very nice finish. Did did wonder at first if he'd actually dinked it wide for a second because it was a little close to the keeper's left hand post. Uh, but he tucks it in, and then uh, yeah, the ninety second minute. I mean, Camacho just puts the icing on the cake with another very simple move and finish. It's it was an it was an evening of. Great capitalization in key moments for defence for Justicia. Quality counter-attacking play. And then doing a very good job at times of controlling possession and stretching Lanus and kind of pushing and pulling them where they wanted to. You really felt that they were the puppet masters for the for the majority of the game. And, you know, at 2-0 it was all over. At 1-0 you almost felt it was all over if Lanus didn't buck up their ideas and show something else. Yeah, I think that's really interesting when you say that they're kind of pushing and pulling. I was very impressed by... Just the bravery, really, of this defensive East Decia side and the confidence that obviously Crespo's given to his team to allow them to play. They were playing triangles and tight spaces. They were equally comfortable, uh, you know, with the ball and you know with the ball in tight spaces in 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 both thirds, with all three thirds of the pitch. But you know, deep in deep in Lannister's half and deep in their own half. So I thought that was a real reflection of the manager. And uh, yeah, it was just a real, real confidence about the way defensive East Decia played and 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 ultimately won. Just on the finish, it is so cute if he means it. You know, I mean, he, he obviously means to clip it over the goalkeeper, but I think he means to, as you said, there's the, that's that moment of uncertainty where, where the crowd's not sure, maybe he's not sure if he's, he actually meant that. He chased it to, down an extra couple of yards yeah. after it went past the keeper, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a little bit. In terms sure. of um, the Commonwealth Sudamericana, though, wins. I mean, defence at Eustacea drop out of the Libertadores and they win it. Um, mm. Does that change it for you at all? The kind of. Because it, it gets mentioned sometimes with the Europa League and European football. You know, people don't like it when a team knocked out of the Champions League drops down and then goes and, and wins it and it books themselves back into the Champions League for next year. Do you have that same feeling with Defensa Justicia winning it, having that opportunity to continue South American continental football after dropping out of the Libertadores? I never used to like it. I never used to like sides dropping out of the because if you exit a competition you exit the competition right and it always felt strange to me in Europe sides dropping out the Champions League and propelling themselves to a position where that you know they were in the latter stages of the Europa League but I think I've grown to to become obviously more accustomed to it and also see the beneficial side from if you zoom out and look at the whole tournament and clearly in the in the Sudamericana and Libertadores same as in Europe it just if you add those sides that have already had they've already had a story with the way they played in the in the Libertadores and then to give them another opportunity in the Sudamericana I don't think it takes away anything from the tournament as a whole if anything I just think it just adds additional layers and I'm yeah I don't think it, it devalues anything I think the sides that the one complaint you would have if you're a side that started the Sudamericana you could say then oh why are these sides dropping down from the Libertadores but the point is they were in the Libertadores to begin with and you weren't right yeah you didn't qualify for that other tournament so so I you know I think that that argument falls down slightly and and ultimately i think yeah over the years I've, I've i i believe it's it's beneficial for both tournaments to have that what about for um what do you think i i yeah I, I, on that point i guess there's there is a part of me that's like as you said you've dro- you've dropped out of a competition already so why do you get another crack at a competition which you're all quite clearly a better caliber than a lot of the teams in it because you've just dropped out of a competition that is a far greater caliber. I mean, it just makes sense. If you're dropping out of the Libertadores, you're better than a number of the teams that started the Sudamericana. 
and there is an expectation for teams to drop out of Libertadores and do well in the Sudamericana in the same way you get that with the Europa League. I, I just think the difference is maybe if in South America and to a lesser extent than Europe, uh, sorry, greater extent than Europe, is the travel in South America still makes any continental competition so difficult anyway. And to credit Defensa e Justicia, you know, they have traveled far greater distances than Lanus on their way to the Sudamericana crown. So they've still had to deal with a lot of problems that mm. maybe another side wouldn't have had to do as much in, in this competition. They've still had to weather the, the storm of continental competition, the problems that come with it. Uh, Zubel Dia actually said, you know, I've seen that they have a lot of the same problems in his pre-match press conference to any side that has to play any continental competition. And I think he kind of recognized that almost in his pre-match words. So, and look, they play great football at the end of the day as well. You can't begrudge a side. And I think that we can say this season and last season, you know, two sides winning this competition are two very good sides to go in to the Copa Libertadores if they maintain the same style of football that they've played. Uh, this brings me on to my next question for you, Windsor. If you're Hernan Crespo, this side is littered with low knees. So the defensive Eustisia that plays next year in the Combo Ball Libertadores isn't going to be the same squad, without a doubt. And to be honest, most sides in South American football don't maintain the majority of their squad or manager for over six months. So do you think this is the right time for Hernan Crespo to jump ship and to go for one of those bigger jobs in Argentinian football and maybe let Defensa e Justicia sort themselves out for next year's Libertadores campaign? Because I don't see the same connection that he personally has compared to like a Gachado that is emotionally attached to River Plate and would want to carry this ride on. Yes, is the answer because... You won't get any loyalty from clubs. And I, sometimes I think people hold managers to a different set of moral criteria when it comes to leaving football clubs or joining football clubs at times. And the fact is that the hierarchy hierarchy at these football clubs, not just in South America, wherever, they are going to be ruthless. If, if you lose five games, I don't care whatever football club you are anywhere in the world, if you lose five consecutive matches, your job's in trouble pretty much these days, I'd mm. say, right? It doesn't matter whether you're Real Madrid or somewhere in the eighth tier of Dutch football, like you're, you're going to be in trouble. So I don't think there's loyalty the other way. And that's because the stakes are so high these days. Um, you know, and the margins are so so slim financially. So for Hernan Crespo, I think you've, you've got to think what else could he really do with Defensa Justicia? He's lifted, you know, the biggest trophy in the, in the club's history. It's an amazing day for the club. It's an amazing day for him individually, his first title. And I think he's got to see this pretty pragmatically and think, right, my profile's never going to be higher. No, the Sudamericana, it's not the Libertadores, but it's still a big, big trophy. And he can easily now pivot, as you mentioned on the preview pod, to go to one of the big clubs in Argentina. And from there, really, you know, as we've seen historically, anything is possible. So so I think for Hernan Crespo, it's it's a no-brainer. Just on Zubeldia, I like a I like a casual, casually dressed coach. But it's a final and you're wearing a t-shirt. Like it's war Molly, but what's wrong with a little linen shirt or something? And a trucker cap. It's a final. It was <laughs> casual. It was very casual. Yeah. You're leading your me- you were leading your group, you know, and it's not just the players, is it? There's backroom staff, you know, probably maybe 50, 75 people answer to him. And I don't know, you're leading your he's wearing a t shirt. I mean Look, I don't know. I will say, and I'm not his biggest fan, but Tony Pulis, 
for the FA Cup, <laughs> turned up in a suit for pre-match and then nipped down the dressing room and got changed into his cap and tracksuit bottoms for kickoff. So, mm. you know, there are managers that just feel more comfortable with it. And at the end of the day, you know, if he's got his side there and he feels comfortable and that's what he wants to do and his side still respect him in the same way, like, be your own man. I respect being your own man in those moments rather than feeling pressured into wearing the suit. Like, if you're not going to do it before... I'm not saying so, so, wear a suit, Ollie. I'm not, he didn't need to wear a suit. doesn't need to wear the shirt tight. It's very, very hot. It's very, very warm. <laughs> I don't know. Even like a smart polo? Yeah. It's just the, the T-shirt and the cap. I mean, you and I now at Pushing Midnight on a, on a Saturday are dressed... As smart, I think I'm dressed now smarter than the jumper him. is a smart jumper, Winter. Yeah. I'll give you that. But for anybody that's <laughs> listening, it's a black cap, a uh, similar style actually to the one the the Lanus <laughs> manager was sporting on the sideline. Maybe a bit yeah. smarter because it's not quite in the trucker style, and a fairly smart, plain, dark grey, casual jumper that would be acceptable in an office like casual office environment with a smart pair of jeans or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely looking far smarter than the uh, the man on the sidelines, but. Look, but hey, here I am in my, you know. I was going to say, have you got to flat. a Commonwealth Sud Americana Brooklyn. final this year? <laughs> <laughs> it's about as close as we'll come to it. Uh, yeah, I th- well, no, we both won the same amount of Sud Americanas this year. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything? Any last words on the competition as a whole, or looking ahead to Lanus and Defensa? Both are going to be in the Libertadores next year, anyway. As I mentioned at the back end of last time on the pod. You know, there's a lot of talk about, and Pete mentioned the youngsters. Um, it's a good way to take them out of the shop window with none of them turning up. So maybe there's a chance of them holding on to a few more of them for next year's exactly. uh, Libertadores campaign for Lanús. Um, I think we are... Yeah, no, no, I don't... yeah sorry, I was just going to say, I don't think you can... Clearly, scouting is, is always very comprehensive, but it still is very, very important to produce on that stage as a youngster. I'm not saying that a 90-minute performance will define your career. Of course it won't. But at the same time, if, if you are you know, a scout or looking to pick up some of these players, you will look at that as a big occasion where, where some of them haven't shown up. Listen, it's more of a collective problem than an individual problem for Lanus, I think, because they've shown their quality in the run to the final. But it, it's, a, it's a great tournament, the Sudamericanas, we talked about in the, in the preview pod. There's so many, there's so many untold stories. And even prior to this final Ollie, I think I messaged you earlier today or yesterday saying, oh, have you seen any good written previews of the final, right? Mm. And I saw one on goal from Dan Edwards, which was very good, and then our preview pod. And then I was kind of struggling. There was a couple of betting sites that had like a three-liner. I don't know whether you found anything. You know, it's underreported, it's undercovered, and it's undervalued. I think it's only underreported and undervalued by world media outside of the no no of course like if i'm if i'm if i'm looking for a a preview piece on these these finals i'm always now going to like not to shout them out but like tyc sports in argentina global sport in in brazil and stuff because i'd rather read an iffy google translate these days than you know there are some excellent pieces on south american football out there and some excellent journalists and it does surprise me that not enough of them will look ahead to this competition although you know we only looked at it for the final you know, it's it is still even for us. We're the Live to Dora's <laughs> so, podcast, and there's there's no way we could juggle a full Sudamericana campaign and a full Live to Dora's campaign because we'd just be talking busy, for about man. three days straight on both of them when we get to the group stages, particularly next year's competition. So it just it's just a tournament that falls by the wayside slightly. Yeah, I was. I'm mean, of course talking through the channel of 
through the very narrow channel, you could say, the English-speaking audience that, that, you know, clearly in South America, it's, it's a very big competition. And in Northern America um, as well, the interest in South American football is a lot bigger than it is in Europe. Uh, yeah, it just, it just surprised me slightly that there wasn't more being written and, and spoken about it. Maybe um, next year we uh, we put a couple of articles together ourselves and, you know, send them out to, like, be in sports, uh, US website and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, nice. You yeah, know, get something published. There's definitely... There's some fun stuff out there. I mean, but, we uh, should yeah, probably what, what knock, your... knock Peter Coates for not putting together a written preview for us. I mean, he did the audio did, one, I, so yeah. just just type that out, Pete, and you've, you're in there. You yeah, can flog this around the world. <laughs> <laughs> what are your final thoughts on the tournament then, Ollie? I know, obviously, last year you covered it really closely, and this year also pretty closely following following the whole tournament through. So it is, it compared to last year, what, I mean, how, how do you stand? Uh, I in terms wouldn't, of the quality, in terms of the teams, in terms of the stories, I would have to say that it being so Argentinian dominated for me as a as a neutral watching it has been slightly negative, because if I wanted to watch Argentinian football only, I would watch Argentinian football. You know, it was it was sad still that Coquimbo Unido didn't make the final. It's like the Cinderella story that was therefore also going against the grain of the Argentine sides in the semi-finals. Um, I think the Brazilian sides just maybe don't treat it with the same amount of sincerity as some of the RG sides do. it, And I can't remember if I said this to you off pod last week or on pod, but it is a microcosm to me of South American football. The Brazilian sides this year are dominating the Libertadores. They're the bigger sides perhaps now in South America with more financial backing. The second biggest nation is Argentina footballing-wise at the moment. And they're dominating and have dominated the Sudamericana in the final. And then everybody else is kind of picking up the scraps. So I hope it doesn't go down that road is as a long-term future for the competition because I want to see the other sides from other nations competing into the deep parts of this tournament. But it, it still has produced a lot of, a lot of um, excitement and some turn-ups for the books with some of the results. And it's definitely a, it's a competition I can't wait for it to get started again in April. Not that long to wait. It's kind of nice. We can just get right into the thick of it with the expanded tournament and a big old group stage as well to get into. Well, that is it for the Common Ball Sudamericana this year. A short, brief, but powerful interlude, I think uh, we can say here on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast about all things the sister tournament of the continent. Uh, looking forward to seeing both of those two sides, if I'm correct. I'm sure I'm correct on that in the Libertadores next year. If I'm not, you can let me know at O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's at O underscore J underscore Wilson on Twitter. Uh, David T. Windsor on Twitter for Dave. That's David T. Windsor, all one word. Do not want to miss his social media content uh, flying off the walls with some of the memes and gags and everything like that. And, of course, you can get in contact with us via email, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. And get on to anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all good other podcasting outlets as well to like, subscribe, and review the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us on this little diversion into the Comic Ball Sudamericana. Of course, in a week's time, by this time next week, in fact, we will know who will be lifting the Comic Ball Libertadores trophy for 2020 stroke 21. So we'll have a preview podcast coming up in the week. We'll be back then. And of course, with a full recap of the final next Saturday as well. So until then, take care.